Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. We are recording. So let me tell you what showed up on my porch about five minutes ago. A big, a big cooler of Omaha steaks. And wow. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm not a big meat eater and I had no idea where it came from. And the FedEx guy brought it up. I'm like, this is, is this a scam? But it turns out I helped a friend who just had a surgery and um, she sent, sent us a big old, big old box of steaks for well, thank you. Nice. Well, why, why aren't we doing the podcast over your grill then? Yeah. Steak for breakfast? Why not? Steak for breakfast is doable. Um, so welcome everyone. Um, we have, we're going to have a lot of fun today. So I just want to go around the table and say who's here. We have uh, Bill Sutton here manning the controls. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And we have Joe Shaw with us. Hi, Joe. Hi, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor. My name's Annette Hinkle, and I am the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also, we have a couple very special guests. One is Kitty Merrill, who is one of our reporters. Hi, Kitty. Hi, Annette. I'm Kitty Merrill, and I'm a reporter covering from Southampton to Spionk. And also sitting with Kitty today is Leon Goodman. Say hello, Leon. I'm Leon Goodman, and I thank you all so very much for having me as your guest. So, Annette. Yeah. May I ask, are you sitting in front of a green screen? No, this is my backyard. No, that's her yard. It is so beautiful back there. Oh, thanks. Oh, my God. That's nice. Meanwhile, my, my background is all booze, <laughs> yeah, which probably, isn't, probably is not great. It's not a good look. So this is a fun story that Kitty was working on. And Kitty, you could probably be a good one to introduce us and talk a little bit about Leon. But basically, Leon is doing a very long walk from the 59th Street Bridge to the Montauk Lighthouse in order to support the Black Lives Matter movement, but do it in a quieter way. You know, after all of the, all of the protests and the rhetoric on both sides, Leon's just quietly and subtly making his own statement. This is Leon Goodman, and uh, I posted this morning that I will be walking starting Thursday morning at 8 a.m., 118 miles from the foot of the 59th Street Bridge all the way out along the south shore of Long Island to the Montauk Lighthouse to protest the police brutality of black people. This is not a protest against the police. This will be a silent protest march against police brutality. And the reason it will be silent is because I don't want the message to be lost. Saw, I right first now. saw a post about Leon on Facebook and there was a video where he had done a Facebook Live while he was walking through, I think, Sayville or Points West. You know, we don't acknowledge those Points West with some place. <laughs> it wasn't Manhattan and it wasn't the Hamptons. It was somewhere up there. In between the East River and Shinnecock Canal thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So he was walking up there and he was explaining some of what he was choosing to do. So let me tell you why I'm doing this march. And let me repeat, this is not about the police. This is about the actions of police brutality. And to put it in simpler terms, let me put it to you this way. 
Breonna Taylor did not put six bullets in her body while she was sleeping. George Floyd did not put his own knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds to kill himself. And it was, he was saying it in such an engaging way, but also in such a, um, I would say such a kind and soft way um, that I, 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 just, I just felt compelled that I wanted to meet him and I wanted to, to really see what he was about. And so I called him last Wednesday night and I went last Thursday and met him in Patchogue. I think his manner in which he wants to get his story across is, is very compelling. So that's why I wanted to like write about it and then, you know, do updates along the way. Take it, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I could be totally honest, because I cannot be disingenuous at all. Uh, when I decided to do this, I have no idea and no reason why. Um, I knew that I wanted to uh, make a statement about the importance of uh, being against acts of police brutality. But in all honesty, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then one, one morning, I was talking to my lady friend, and I was telling her what I was thinking about doing. And of course, she looked at me a tad cross-eyed and said, you don't even exercise. And uh, so, so I then decided that if I was going to do this, and it's important that you hear this, I walked for three to four days in a row, six and a half miles per day. And one, I wanted to see how long it would take me to walk the six and a half miles. And also, and see if my body could take it, because I'm 69 years old. And um, uh, the reason I started with six and a half miles is I live in Bayshore, and I live exactly, interestingly enough, I live exactly 3.25 miles from the Bayshore Marina, thus my six and a half miles. And so I would walk down to the marina, and I would walk around the marina, and then... I would walk back home in about two, when I first, the first time I, I was able to do it, it took me about two and a half hours. And then I noticed that it took me less time after that. I mean, you're doing quite a bit more from, from the uh, 59th Street Bridge to the Montauk Lighthouse. So is it because you live on Long Island that you thought that would be a really good route to do, to go from point to point? Actually, I explained this to Kitty. Somewhere in the deep recesses of my mind, I read someplace that the base or the foot of the 59th Street Bridge on the Queen side is really the very beginning of Long Island. It's true. Yeah. So it's the length of Long Island, basically, is what you're walking. I wanted the length of Long Island. That's exactly right. So I started at the 59th Street Bridge. As I'm walking down Queens Boulevard, on my right shoulder was the good angel. And the good angel was, this is a true story, and the good angel was saying, I am so proud of you. you this is such a great idea. You can do it. And on the left side was, was the devil. And he said, are you at your GD mind? Planning on walking. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Why don't you just stop right now? But the good angel took over, and I'm sitting here with Kitty and with you guys here in Southampton. What I found really interesting about this is you've sort of talked about this as a quiet walk. You obviously are making a big statement with your T-shirt, 
which which says I can't breathe and your hat that says Black Lives Matter. You're speaking silently, but you're making a, a strong statement with that. But you've had a chance. Kitty wrote about the fact that you've had a chance along the way to engage with people, both supporters and not so supporters along the way. But that's been interesting, right? This hasn't been a silent walk for you at all. You've, you've had a lot of conversations. Only if they allowed me to engage with them. Um, I don't seek any people out. I don't stop and talk people as I'm walking along the way. If circumstances allow the situation to develop where we, I, I will begin a conversation, then that's how the conversations have happened. Um, and I'm glad you brought up both negative and positive because there have been some really, really positive conversations. And on the reverse, there's been some negative conversations. A biker in Seaford, uh, Kitty so eloquently put this in her piece, and I have a picture of him, which I, I shared with Kitty. A biker in Seaford um, stopped me as I was walking past him. And he, legit, he legitimately said to me, he said, I am so sorry for what's been happening to you. You, meaning the pejorative black people. I'm so sorry. And so I stopped and I said, thank you very much. And then he reached in his pocket and said, let me give you some money, but let me help you. And I said, no, I said, no, this is not about me. If you want to give some money, then make a donation to a social justice organization to help fight the kinds of things that I'm trying to address with this. And we had a conversation at that point, and he ended our conversation by saying, well, if only they had complied, they'd still be alive. So it demonstrates you've got some work to do. <laughs> yes. And you know, I, I, I could have made that moment an argumentative moment, and tell him how ridiculous that sounded, but I didn't. I decided to use the Dylan Roof example. And Kitty, uh, Kitty, I keep referring to you, and I'm so sorry, but but she's covered this so well that, and Kitty covered it in, in the story. I used the Dylan Roof example where after he was captured fully armed, I mentioned this to the biker, and then I said, do you know what they did with him? And he said, what, they beat his ass? And I said, no, they took him to Burger King because he said he was hungry. And he just looked at me. See, you see, that's the part of the story that I use to bring up the disparities and how black people are treated relative, their, relative to their relationship with the police. And that's a very clear story. And I think it's hard if you don't have people of color in your family, you never see that side of it. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. When I was walking through Brightwater, I met a woman named Pat Momontos and it was, it was drizzling. And it was just before I got to the Brightwater's Bayshore Library. And she was out on her morning walk. And so our paths crossed. And I made a joke to her. I said, you know, we chose a heck of a day to go for a walk, right? It was starting to rain. And I guess, I guess she found that interesting that I would say that. And then we said hello. And we talked for a few minutes. And we stood underneath a, ver a veranda. And we were talking. And lo and behold, she took my picture. And she was intrigued by what I was doing and what I am doing still. And she put it on our Facebook page. And one of her friends responded, and I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. I don't take credit for other people's comments or work. But one of her friends responded on Facebook that I was doing what more people should do is light one candle at a time. That's, that's just so profound. And I'm so glad that Kitty picked up on that and put that in the article. And I did tell you that wasn't my original quote, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't attribute it to you. Oh. <laughs> I just want to make sure I don't want to take other people. 
I don't take credit. What was that other paper design? <laughs> I don't want to take credit what other people say, but she said, she put in her Facebook post, wow, Leon Goodman, and she talked about what I was doing, and she said, this is exactly what we need to do. Light one candle at a time. And that's symbolic of what I think I'm trying to do. But I think, I think the most important part, because this is, a, this is a thing that often gets mixed up, is that um, Leon's, Leon's purpose, and he has a real great question that he's gonna, I'm gonna ask him to ask. Yes. That when people talk about, yes. when people talk about um, uh, blue, uh, Back the Blue and Blue Lives Matter, of course everybody feels that way. But there's comes a point when you gotta you got a question and you have to look. You put something oh. on Facebook yesterday that was really intense. What, what I put on Facebook was something that Kitty and I had already discussed. And unbeknownst to me, the opportunity to make it really public uh, became available yesterday when Anthony Gavarino somehow he posted his advertisement for his congressional race on my Facebook page, which was great. I thought it was amazing <laughs> and so I, it gave me an, an opportunity to ask him the question does his support for law enforcement and their support of him include or mean regardless at some point law enforcement has to look themselves in the mirror and say officers that are not adhering to the oath that they take when they become officers should not be part of our police force. They they must be weeded out. Interestingly enough, when I woke when I when I woke up this morning, I was ready to uh, come out. The wife of a law enforcement officer responded. This law enforcement officer's wife supports you, and you are speaking the truth without question. The people have every right to call for a restructuring of their restructuring of their government's priorities. It's not personal. It's systemic. Wow. And is that indicative of, of lighting one candle at a time? And I responded to her. What I said was, thank you. And then I inserted the articles that have been written about the war. And I said, when you get an opportunity, please read this. And that's all I said. Ask you, Leon. Have have you live in Bayshore, correct? Yes. Have you had experiences with law enforcement? Have you seen the the you know the profiling? Uh, have you have you had any any kind of run-ins like that? Uh, do you see Kitty and I laughing? I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. As an African American man, you absolutely will, and you just expect it. But interestingly enough, I've had a, prior to my retiring three years ago, I had a 30-year career in human resources in Manhattan, which meant that I rode the Long Island Railroad every day. And I lived in Massapequa prior to moving to Bay Shore. And one night at about 10 o'clock, I got off the Long Island Railroad at the Massapequa stop and myself and about 10 to 12 other commuters, they were all white and we were all dressed in suits because we're business people carrying briefcases because that's part of our look and they there used to be an old toyota dealership right across the street from the massapequa train station we all parked there we just considered it the overflow lot when we were running late to catch the train 
And I got home, we all crossed the street and just to our right, about a little, about a quarter mile, a little less than a quarter mile of the Toyota dealership, there was a Nassau County police officer. And he watched all of us cross Sunrise Highway and go into this lot to get our cars. And then when I came out, he pulled me over. Just you? Just me. And when I asked him why, he said, because you're coming out of this lot at 1030 at night. And I said, so were the other 10 or 12 white people that came out with me. And he said, stop being a smart ass and uh, dropped a few expletives on me and said, give me your GD license and registration. And then when he searched his database for something to give me a ticket on or to arrest me and couldn't find anything, he made me sit there about 45 minutes. Interestingly enough, the supervisor of um, Southampton. He met Jay Schneiderman yesterday on the walk. He, met me, he met me on the walk yesterday. Yesterday being, what was yesterday? Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> You've lost track, haven't you? <laughs> and interestingly enough, I shared that story with Jay. And Jay just looked at me. And it wasn't incredulous to him because he had read it in my post. But it was interesting that I said, Jay, you know, I would make a suggestion because this happens to black men all the time. So I said, one day you should just go to your local black barbershop. And just say, hey, guys, I want to hang out for the day and just listen to the conversations in there. And you'll see how this just happens almost ad infinitum. And you'll hear different variations of the same story that I just told. It's just something we expect. And, uh, and unfortunately, Jay told me that there are no black barbershops in Southampton. Those are the stories that have to come out and be told and to be told over and over again to kind of break through that rhetoric from the other side that there is no racism or that it's not as pronounced as people think. And I think if there's any way to get through that, to break through that wall, it's just repeating those stories over and over again so people can find some empathy with the way the world is and make a change. I also think the ubiquity of cell phones now allow you to shoot video to actually see this happening in real time. And I think that's been, it's done a lot to change the, the perspective for most people, I think, who, who can see it blatantly uh, occurring when, when you capture these videos. For me, I had that kind of eye-opening moment walking through um, a big box store in Riverhead with an African-American friend. Uh, and it's a store where I have never had luck in getting a single soul to help me but all he had to do was touch something on it. He picked up a tool and all of a sudden we were swarmed. Can I help you? Can I help you? And we were followed through the store. And I was like, what, what is this? And he, and he basically said, just shrugged his shoulders and said, this is, this happens all the time. Yeah. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Cordoraro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com So, Leon, how does your walk, uh, how do you hope that this effort is, is going to address that? How does it, how did, what's its role in bringing about change? One of the things that I've thought about very, very deeply is a phrase that I heard from my grandmother and my mother as I was growing up. 
and uh, silence is deafening. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, there's an old um, quote unquote Negro spiritual song that says, um, and I, I'm paraphrasing, judge me by the work that I've done. So if, as I'm walking, as I've walked from 59th Street Bridge and now I'm here in Southampton, people see and have heard about this silent protest march I'm doing. No placards, no bullhorns, no signs, no massive groups following me, yelling and screaming. So the question becomes, well, then why is he doing that? And that's so important to me. When they are sitting there and they're pondering, he's walking 118 miles. Why? And he's saying he's against acts of police brutality, but not against police. Why? He's black. He should be against police. And I think that the two are not necessarily inseparable, but by the same token, you have to look at them and say, people create acts of police brutality. And what I mean by people, I mean police officers who have a duty and responsibility to protect and serve the community commits acts of police brutality. And we can't just uh, cast a blind eye at it. We have to say, wait a second, this is not right. You cannot do that. If you are doing that, you cannot be a part of the police department. And those are the kinds of questions that executives or administrators in police departments must ask. Why are we allowing these people still on our force? Because they are not being, they are not properly handling their duties as police officers. And so my silence, my walking, my quietly going from town to town and letting people see me is posing that question. I'm trying to make my silence so deafening that it drowns out the noise that people have constantly put forth relative to the demonstrations across the country and around the world. Right. And those answers are burning buildings, the looting, fighting with police officers. Kyle Rittenhouse, he was a 17-year-old kid that killed, murdered two people at a demonstration and shot the arm off the other. And as an African-American man, you know what we saw? We saw him put his hands up and walk past police officers, and he went home that night and slept in his own bed. And he had an assault rifle uh, on, him, on him. And he had an assault rifle on him. Literally carrying the, the assault rifle at yes, the time. Yes, yes. And the demonstrators were yelling to the police, he just shot and killed someone. And the police ignored him. As African-American men, we see those kinds of symbolic gestures. And I hate to use symbolic gestures because it softens it too much. But we see that and we say, wait a second. If that had been a black man, he'd be dead. Have the police bothered you at all on your walk? No, not at all. I mean, I've seen them sitting and watching me, but no, not at all. Where do you feel like you got the most support so far along your route? East End. East, East, shit. Well, Kitty answered the question for me. East End. Yay. East End. Good. I'd be disingenuous if I told you that when this all started on October 1st, I had a plan because I really didn't. I just knew I had to do something and I decided to do it. But interestingly enough, the morning that I was taking the Long Island Railroad to uh, the 59th Street Bridge, the connection anyway, I spilled my bottle of water on the Long Island Railroad. And my lady friend who was with me at the time, she said that she didn't want to sit in the area where I'd spilled the water on the floor. 
And she said, let's sit up on the upper deck and there's a seat there so you can uh, stretch your leg. And sitting across from me was a gentleman named Curtis Harris. I, we just started a conversation. I told him what my plans were and what I was about to do. And he very respectfully said, what are you gonna do when you get to the East End? And I admitted, I have no idea. I don't know anyone out there. And he said, well, do you mind if I help you? Because I think I know some people that might be able to help you. He then put me in touch with Willie Jenkins, Lisa Vitino, and Sierra Nicole. And you see what has happened since. Everything that's happened since is because I spilled my water on the Long Island Railroad and moved to a different section. You know what, I, Willie and uh, Lisa, we have a lot of experience with them out here. And we've talked many times about how as the face of the movement, you couldn't do better. We had a conversation with Willie on the panel with the local police chiefs, and he could not have been more gracious about, this isn't about all the police officers. We, we support the police. This isn't about that, but it's about the experiences that we have that need need to stop. And Lisa, the same way. I've, I've always said, you know, we've had some protests out here and everybody says, geez, we're worried that this might turn ugly. And I'm like, listen, if it starts to turn ugly, they're going to have Lisa Vitino to answer to. I would be nervous about that if I were anybody who were looking to cause trouble. Lisa would stop, put a stop to that immediately. I think we're really, we're really lucky out here that we have really responsible, vocal, articulate advocates who are making the case in the way it needs to be made. And I think you join that chorus of voices now. You're out here now too. Well, well let me- We're well, adopting well, him. <laughs> let me tell you my quick Lisa Vitino story and I promise I'll let you go. Sorry, Kitty. So yesterday I'm walking with Lisa and Lisa tells me that one of the reasons we want to have our finale on Saturday at the Lighthouse is because on Sunday, the Trump truckers are driving out from Manhattan to the Lighthouse. They were bragging about the number of miles they're all dragging. And Lisa Bettino says she wrote on there, you wimps, why don't you try walking? So Leon, you had mentioned that you had a really interesting experience at the Shinnecock Reservation. And I wondered if you could tell us about how, how it went when you uh, went by there. When I, when I got to the reservation, the thing that really stands out in my mind was I was talking, his name is uh, Chris, and he is one of the elders. And I was telling him when I decided to do this, I really didn't have a plan and I didn't know why I was doing it. And this is why I wanted to share this. And he said to me, because it was ancestral. And then he explained it to me. He said, you have to listen to your ancestors when they tell you something and they tell it to you. And he said, the reason that you're walking is your ancestors said that you have to do this. And then someone else chimed in and said, there are no coincidences. The fact that you're here with us today at the reservation is not a coincidence. It was ordained by our ancestors because you've never been here before. We did not know you, but we heard you were coming and we were so pleased. And then one of the chiefs, she said to me, she said, Leon, you probably don't, you're not aware of this, but our people used to walk from Manhattan to Montauk all the time. She said, you're recreating what our people always did and you had no idea that that's what you're doing. As a gift, 
they gave me a necklace. It's made from one of the shells from the sea. Nice. Is that beautiful? Yeah. So, Leanne, you had the experience at the Shinnecock Nation. You had the spilled water bottle that led to an encounter there. And you said the idea for the walk kind of came to you overnight one night. It all seems kind of synchronicitous. Are you a spiritual man? I, I believe in God. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that he looks out for us and for me. I was raised in segregated Suffolk, Virginia to the age 12. And my grandparents raised me because my mother had me as an 18 year old and she had moved to New York for a better life. And so, uh, and she couldn't afford to take care of me in New York. So she left me with my grandparents. So I've had the experience of growing up in segregation, literally having to walk to a two room school with two teachers and six grades. I've had that experience. And it's all black kids and the white kids in our, where we lived out in the country, they would ride past us in the school bus. Everything in life, I think has happened for a reason for me. And this is just an extension of it. And sometimes as I'm walking, I'll look up at the sky to my grandmother and my mother, and I'll just say, you know, I'm doing what you would want me to do. I'm doing what I feel is necessary. And I just, I feel satisfied that what I've done with my life the kinds of things I've done is just consistent with how my grandparents raised me. We were poor as kids when I got to New York. We were poor as kids when I lived in the South. But one of the things my mother never, ever let us be is poor in our minds. I remember I graduated sixth grade and um, I needed to wear a white shirt. And uh, sorry. It's okay, honey, don't worry. And um, the only white shirt in the house was my sister's. And I said to my mother, I said, well, I, can't wear my, I can't wear Tommy's shirt. My sister was Thomasine. And my mother put this shirt on me and she said, put that shirt on, it's clean, you wear it. And when you become a grown man, you get an education and you can buy anything you want. Basically what she said was no one can take away what you have when you have an education. I see you, I see you. Let me move over here. <laughs> hey, what's going on? Willie Jenkins, Brichanta, New York. Brichanta better than South Ham, remember that. <laughs> and standing right behind me. Hi, I'm Sierra Joyelli. I'm from Gulfport Village, New York. Hey, Sierra. Hi. And right next to Sierra, we have, where are you? I'm right here, Lisa Votino, Southampton. Uh, <laughs> so as I begin, as I begin this Facebook post this morning, let me just say that we're very close to the end. Lisa, how many miles are we away from the very end? It's like 45. About 45. Yeah, we're doing okay. 12.2 today. Okay, so we're going to do 12.2 miles today. All right. And we're about 45 miles in total until we get to the lighthouse, but we're going to save the last five miles for Saturday morning. We're going to probably be walking in the rain, but it's going to be all worthwhile. So I just want everybody to know that this has been quite an adventure. More and more people are joining us along the way. I am just thrilled to death with the support of the Black Lives Matter movement out here on the East End. And uh, although they're going to, there you go. You see these three people right here. I hope I can. After this is all said and done on Saturday, what do you want to do going forward? Like, how has this journey changed you? Has it given you some ideas or insight into how to further the movement? That's a very good question. I had a conversation with Lisa Patino yesterday when we were walking 
and a, with Willie Jenkins. And we don't really know what's next. And part of the reason we don't know what's next is because this has not been planned. It wasn't planned out that way. It was, it was just supposed to be an opportunity to interact with people and to share the message that acts of police brutality must stop. What do we do next? And I have to be honest with you, I don't want to rush into it because whatever we do, it has to be tangible, it has to be meaningful, and it has to have some sort of impact on whomever we're trying to reach out to. I think it's remarkable, um, Leon, that I, I actually, when I, when I read Kitty's story the first time, I thought she must have had a typo in there when she said you were 69. Uh, because I saw the photo and I thought, well, that's not possible that this man is 69. But I, I find it really fascinating that you are a direct link to that time that, that you've lived, you've lived that experience. And I think it just makes, it makes your message even, even more compelling. Uh, you know, where you, you know, where, where you're, you know, where you're speaking from. Let's put it that way. I think it's really telling too. If you look at, um, at voter lines already in the South and Georgia and places like that, people standing in Texas, standing in line 11 hours, despite the efforts to suppress the vote, they're out there. And I think that that's like, you know, like somebody said the other day, it's like, you don't get out and vote early and stand in line for 10 hours if you're happy the way things are. Mm -hmm. No. Oh, that is, that is perfect. That is exactly right. You don't do that. I have a lot of faith in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So if that sounds like an endorsement, it's exactly what it is. The reason I have faith in them is that at 78 years old, I honestly think Joe Biden gets it. I think he's been around people of color long enough that he can look outside of his own little bubble that he's grown up in for all intents and purposes and see that there has to be some systemic changes. I am very encouraged by that ticket. You, you seem so upbeat and so optimistic. And I'm wondering how optimistic you are overall nationwide that, that the movement, which has seen such great advancement over the last few months and such great support. At the same time, we've seen that in history where there are periods where it feels like we're making some advances, but then go backwards and kind of ride this roller coaster. And I'm just wondering how optimistic you are that, that we're going to eventually make the changes that we need to change through the movement. Um, I am so encouraged that I think this, this morning when I was driving out here, I heard that he has already said that he is going to make his cabinet the most diverse cabinet ever. And that includes everybody. And I think that's what's important. I think that we live in a society where we have so many silos. And what we need to do is chip away the silos and let people interact more. My walk is not going to change everything. But I think it was Joe that said it. Having grown up in both segregation and an integrated environment, I see things from a different perspective. And I am very, very optimistic about the future. And I think that when I finish... Um, on Saturday, um, I think I'm going to look around and I'm just going to say this is the change that we needed. I have one last question, and I don't know that it fits as a final question, but you hear it all the time on social media, and and I think a lot of people always ask the question. You know, your your message is Black Lives Matter, and you hear a lot of people respond to that by saying, "Well, all lives matter." Talk about why that misses the point. 
that 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 misses the point of what Black Lives Matter is supposed to be. I can talk about that by examples. And when I hear that, my retort is simply this. How many 12-year-old white kids have you heard of that were shot dead within five seconds of the police arrival in a public park? Think about that for a second. In a country of 200 million people, how many 12-year-old white kids have been shot dead within five seconds of the police coming to investigate a situation? That's why Black Lives Matter. Tamir Rice was 12 years old and he was playing with a toy pistol. And if someone says to me, well, he shouldn't have been playing with a toy pistol, I would like them to tell me what kid doesn't play with toy pistols? We always have to have the talk with our kids. It shouldn't be any different talk than any family would have with their kids. But our talk is different. Well, I got to tell you, for a silent walk, I'm glad you're breaking your silence a little bit because the message that you have, it just speaks volumes. Your voice is, is an important one to have uh, out there for this. So thanks, thanks for doing what you're doing. Truly an inspiration. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I can't thank the Southampton Press and Kitty in particular enough because the message that I'm trying to get out, to communicate, to convey, it would never have gotten out if I didn't have the kind of coverage that you guys have afforded me. So thank you. Okay, we All got right. our next meeting coming up 10, 15 minutes ago. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I talk a lot. Thank all you right. all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm going to stand up. Thank you. And we may not change all hearts. We may not change all minds. But Lord Jesus, we know what you would do in these circumstances. And we're trying to do no less. So in your precious and holy name, we say thank you. And amen. 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 I will see you guys in five or six hours. Have a wonderful day. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.